Hello and welcome to the March 2019 edition of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. This month we're starting with a couple of High Court victories by NGOs before turning to some significant developments in business immigration. There's also been some movement in asylum law which we're going to review before looking at some new cases concerning appeal rights and children. We're finishing on developments in the wonderful world of immigration detention, including the damning Home Affairs Committee report castigating the whole business. I'm joined by my colleague, Deputy Editor CJ McKinney. CJ, over to you. Yes, we thought we'd start with some news that's rung out beyond the immigration law world, which is the right to rent legislation being deemed a violation of the Human Rights Act. Right to rent being part of the set of policies known as the hostile environment, and it means landlords having to check the immigration status of their tenants. The High Court found in a case taken by the wonderful JCWI that right to rent causes racial discrimination. Um, in fact, more than that, that it caused landlords to discriminate where they otherwise would not have. It had a sort of ultra-negative effect. Colin, this is obviously a wonderful victory, but I had a couple of legal points to, to pin you down on with this. Um, first of all, the High Court didn't strike down this legislation, right? It just declared that it's incompatible with, with human rights law. Yes, yeah, so the, the the judge ends by issuing a declaration of incompatibility, which leaves the law standing. Um, it requires Parliament to look at it again and to respond. If Parliament wants to leave the law in place, then it can do. Um, but you know, in the meantime, it's not that the scheme has ended or that landlords aren't still under a duty or anything like that. It is still basically in place. Of course, the, the Home Office is appealing anyway. So it, and the, the declaration of incompatibility is... You know, suspended effectively and Parliament doesn't have to respond until there's a final outcome to the case. The Home Office um, were granted permission to appeal and as far as we know they're pursuing that appeal so um, this isn't necessarily the last word on it. Uh, yeah and I suppose the million dollar question is what are their prospects on appeal because even Zoe from JCWI and the blog she wrote for us on this case acknowledged I think that the judge was kind of pushing out the boat maybe a bit in terms of in terms of the legal reasoning and maybe you know the court of appeal could push back yeah i i thought the reasoning on or the findings really on discrimination were very strong and the judge um was entirely it was open to the judge should we say to to make the findings he did on the discrimination evidence but there was um something a bit more kind of technical and legal involved as well which was the scope of article 8 um and that's pretty difficult legal question and you know it's um it's controversial it's likely that the court of appeal and perhaps also um the supreme court are going to want to take a look at it haven't heard the last of that one potentially fair enough we'll obviously bring you the the result of the court of appeal case whenever that comes down in the months to come we will move on to another campaigning ngo type case um which is on the 14th of march the high court suspended the removal window policy operated by the Home Office, and this is where migrants who are going to be removed from the UK are given a period of months within which they can be removed, but removed without warning, really, within that large window of time. It's highly controversial, and the charity called Medical Justice has successfully challenged aspects of it in the past. They're now taking a new case, and the High Court has suspended this system uh, pending a full hearing of the latest case in June or July. Are they going to win? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's a really it, again like the right to rent. This was a big decision and um, and a, a pleasant surprise, frankly. And kind of personally speaking, used to the the Home Office um, fighting off this kind of litigation um, successfully. So it was very interesting to see a judge side with the um, with the claimants in a case like this. Um, it, I, 
clearly from a sort of lawyer's point of view, a lawyer who represents people facing removal, the, the removal windows are seriously um, problematic when it comes to getting legal advice promptly and being able to um, litigate issues. Um, whether it's unlawful, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, pr- predictions are a mug's game. Who, who knows? Turning to business immigration, we have two shiny new visa routes called Innovator and Startup. These were launched on the 29th of March, replacing Tier 1 Entrepreneur and Tier 1 Graduate Entrepreneur, respectively. Important to note that Tier 1 Entrepreneur is now closed entirely to new applicants, but uh, Graduate Entrepreneur applications can still be made up until the 6th of July. You can read up on the requirements for the new visas in the immigration rules and on gov.uk and all the rest of it but the big feature of these new routes is that you need to be endorsed by an organization whereas previously as i understand it you you went directly to the home office i don't think anyone was a huge fan of that old system because it involved civil servants reviewing business plans um which they knew nothing about um but there are already red flags i think on this new system because these endorsing organizations we found don't seem ready to endorse people really um and also just kind of the nature of what they are there's 24 listed organizations um, most of them are business accelerators which is fine for startups but i'm getting the sense from practitioners that serious businessmen people who've got you know a, a track record of setting up businesses aren't going to be applying for a nine-month accelerator program in order to get a UK visa. So I think some concerns maybe about how that's that's going to operate. Yeah, and if you're if you're looking seriously at visas, and you know you are a serious businessman, business person, then you know you've got a choice of countries you can go to. You know, if you if you've got these kind of skills behind you, then you'd be looking at where's most advantageous. You know, what what are the rules, not just at the time of application, but going forward. And frankly, you know, because you need this endorsing body still to be around when you're applying for an extension or ILR, <laughs> who knows if they're going to be or not? Um, you, you're, you're putting all your eggs into a very unreliable, untested basket um, with these cases. Um, so it doesn't seem terribly well thought through. And you can see why the Home Office is kind of trying to bring in some genuine expertise on on what's a good business and what's not what's a good business proposition and what's not and certainly you know civil servants don't seem to be very good at judging that kind of thing for themselves but kind of totally farming it out and sort of privatizing the whole thing by bringing in these endorsing bodies who are you know that they're, they're not kind of necessarily going to be around in a few years time um so it, it's a pretty it's a pretty big risk if you're a genuine entrepreneur yeah it's interesting we've heard from ILPA just today they've published a letter from the Home Office in which the Home Office say do you know what the old entrepreneur route was riddled with abuse and part of the rationale for this new system is to reduce the numbers which uh, we were talking about this before we started Colin I, I don't think either of us had realised that that was the motivation because when they launched the new visas it was all about you know global Britain and innovation and the best and brightest but then you see this um, correspondence they say oh no we just want to cut the numbers yeah and it yeah it turns out that this not being a very good route is not an accident it's kind of perhaps deliberate <laughs> on the part of the home office they're trying to put people yeah. off applying but then it, it does beg the question of why they're putting out all these press releases trying to say they're open for business when actually you know they're not basically 
Yes, indeed. We'll see how that one plays out. But I think there's an outcry brewing in, in the business world, potentially. Turning then to a topic we've covered before in the podcast, one of your favourites, Colin, is professional sports persons. Uh, we had reported previously, uh, maybe a podcast or two ago, that the Home Office had changed the definition of a professional sports person in some sort of a mad way that caught anyone who did even a bit of coaching of their kids' football team might be deemed working in breach of their visa conditions. Uh, they have now had a change of heart. Nicola Carter reports for us. Um, they've removed a key bit of that wording. The podcast maybe not the place to parse the different wordings, but basically it's an improvement, Colin, we, we reckon. Yeah, and a fairly slight improvement in lots of ways. And um, the rules are still pretty tight, but it, it is an improvement and it doesn't catch those kind of um, amateur coaches in the same way that it, it used to. And this is like a... It's like a microcosm for what's wrong with the, the immigration rules in the UK, which is civil servants coming up with these definitions, changing the rules frequently, not consulting and screwing it up, frankly, um, and then having to sort of backpedal. It's just it, it's just a bit of a disaster. Yeah, there do seem to be a lot of these things that they make a big change and then they make a couple of subsequent changes to fix the original change afterwards it's, it's, yeah, you know, why can't they just consult properly in the first place you know it's what's so top secret about this kind of stuff yeah there we are um anyhow if, if this is relevant to uh, your work you can take a look at nicholas piece for the details dated 19th of march and i believe that latest amendment kicked in on the 29th of march on to asylum the supreme court has given judgments on the rather sobering subject of torture you wrote this judgment up colin it's kv sri lanka and Secretary of State 2019 UKSC 10. Yeah, it's a it's a biggie, this one. Um, it's a case that I had um, some involvement with um, at an earlier stage, at the tribunal stage, and I found the case um, pretty upsetting, traumatising almost. The, the, the evidence was awful, and I, I found the way that this was handled by the, um, the judges in the Home Office pretty poor as well. Um, but it, it's, it's finally a very good outcome in the Supreme Court, and, and full credit to the, the team who managed to take it forward. Um, essentially, the Supreme Court confirms the Court of Appeal judgment saying that this generalised guidance on the sort of so-called phenomenon of self-inflicted torture by proxy, which is the idea that somebody might deliberately get themselves injured or branded by another person in order to make a false asylum claim, um, that the general guidance the tribunal gave in the case um, was basically they shouldn't have done that and, and the guidance should be disregarded. Um, and then the Supreme Court goes on to criticise the Court of Appeal judgment um, for limiting the role of, of a medical expert in these cases too much. Um, and that was, um, it was a point that wasn't even contested by the Home Office. Um, Lord Justice Sales, as he then was, he's now in the Supreme Court, but not sitting on this case, um, had, had basically clearly gone too far. And um, the, the, they say in the Supreme Court, it's clear that his findings were erroneous, uh, his comments were erroneous. Um, so that's useful as well. Um, and then the case goes on to, the judgment goes on to say that um, the, the reasoning of the tribunal was was pretty poor, basically. And the tribunal failed to really remind itself adequately that this kind of um, phenomenon is, is just inherently unlikely. Um, there was plenty of evidence that torture by state agents was going on in Sri Lanka at the time. And in contrast, there's almost no evidence to speak of of, of this self-infliction by proxy stuff. Um, so the, in the, it ends with the appeal being remitted back to the tribunal to determine again, years after the original determination. And we can only hope that they do a better job the second time around. Yeah, the the, the tribunal had really gone to great lengths to try and give a definitive 
judgment on this, right? But it just seems like it made a mess of it. Yeah, it's all it's all desert air. I mean, there's hundreds of paragraphs in the original determination, and the, the yeah, I think everybody was acting pro bono in the in the tribunal at that stage, and um, it just went on for days and days. It was the whole thing was just a nonsense. Well, the Supreme Court has settled things, hopefully. Uh, good news there. Uh, moving down a wrong then, the Court of Appeal has also had to set the tribunal straight, this time on the country guidance in respect of Ahmadis from Pakistan. And the case is WA Pakistan and Secretary of State 2019 EWCA Civ 302. Essentially, the tribunal's country guidance on whether members of this particular religious minority face persecution in Pakistan this is out the why question that is as i understand it if they can go home and live in safety you need to ask why because it might be that they're keeping their faith under wraps to avoid persecution and if that's the case they they might still get asylum in the uk so that court of appeal decision is an important gloss on the tribunal's approach and i think mostly based on the big supreme court religious asylum decision in hj iran colin is it Yes, yes. I know MN and others, the original um, country guidance case was also based on HJ. And I, I remember the case very well because I was, um, again, it was a case that I was acting in, actually. Um, and it was the, the MN case. It was a real breakthrough at the time. And it was a, it was a great result in lots of ways. But um, the tribunal was a bit, um, as, as good as the determination was, the tribunal was a bit over keen to try and limit the numbers, basically. Because there are quite a few Armadis claiming asylum in the UK. Um, and... Yeah, they just went a bit too far in saying that um, Ahmadis have to explain or have to show that open expression of faith is kind of a really important um, thing to them, whereas that's not really um, that's not really required in law. Basically, if you if you look properly at the H.J. Iran case, so this is a, a really good corrective to that, and um, you know it, it, it improves the country guidance on Ahmadis even more. Now, there is a pattern emerging in our asylum discussion this month because the headline on our next case report is Immigration Tribunal understates Afghan casualties by factor of 10 in country guidance case. So the tribunal getting it wrong again, which is a pity, uh, basically muddling up its statistics on the probability of dying a violent death in Kabul. The citation for that one is AS Iran and Secretary of State's 2019 EWCA Civ 208. Um... I think you wrote that one, Colin. Anything to anything to add? Yeah, it's pretty biggie, isn't it? Because it's um, the case was all about what are your chances of dying a violent death in Kabul, and getting that statistic wrong by a factor of ten. You know, the, the tribunal saying it was less than one in ten thousand, and actually it was around one in one thousand. That's pretty significant um, statistical error, should we say? Um, so it's unfortunate that um, that mistake was made. But this is a it's a weird case because it, it's an interim decision by the Court of Appeal. Um, so there hasn't been a final decision on whether the country guidance has been overturned or not. Um, but obviously this casts considerable doubt on it. Um, so there's a bit of a bit of uncertainty really as to, to what you should be doing with the um, the country guidance case as it stands. Yeah, I imagine that doesn't help practitioners day in day out trying to make sense of things. But no, no, or, or judges anyhow. Um, the next asylum development is from the tribunal. It is TK Gay Man 2019 UKUT 92 IAC. There is a real risk of persecution for gay men who are openly gay in St. Lucia in the Caribbean. 
seems straightforward enough. Um, it does say, Con, that the judgment is not country guidance. What's the significance of that? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that's about. Um, I mean, obviously, it's been reported um, why it hasn't got the country guidance designation. I'm not sure. But clearly, if, if there are any other St. Lucian cases um, with gay men, then this is going to be an important reference point. Finally, on this topic, the Court of Justice of the European Union has handed down judgment in the case of C one six three seventeen Jawo or Yawo. Um, asylum seekers cannot be sent back even to a fellow EU member state if they are at substantial risk of inhuman or degrading treatment. Um, but the court set the bar quite high for an argument that that's the case. It was um, the instant litigation was about people saying they couldn't be transferred back to Italy because they would be treated so badly there that it would be a, a breach of human rights. The Court of Justice says that uh, resisting transfer to Italy is only a possibility if you can demonstrate that the asylum seeker would be, uh, and I quote, in a situation of extreme material poverty that does not allow him to meet his most basic needs, such as inter alia food, personal hygiene and a place to live, and that undermines his physical or mental health or puts him in a state of degradation incompatible with human dignity, end quote. You might recognise that language, Carl. Is that building on previous cases, maybe, rather than being a new formulation? Yes, and it, and it um, it follows on from an earlier tribunal case um, here in the UK called SM, um, where similar conclusions were reached. But I certainly I, I think that the the CJU case is arguably wider, um, and it requires a sort of slightly less personal look um, at the particular circumstances of the the appellant, because the tribunal here in the UK was looking really at this category, particularly vulnerable persons. Um, whereas the CJU is looking at a, a potentially wider category. So it's similar, and clearly both courts have found that there are some pretty serious problems in Italy for some people. Um, but I think the CJU case perhaps suggests that um, the tribunal's conclusions in SM need to be revisited. Okay, interesting. See if that uh, is the case. Next, we will turn to the topic of appeal rights, and there is good news for extended family members of EU citizens. New regulations give this category of people an appeal to the immigration tribunal should it be required. Uh, now you may be thinking, don't extended family members already have appeal rights? There was the Salah case and that was overturned. Um, and that's true, but that whole saga only applied to people who came in under the 2006 version of the EEA regulations. Um, whereas anyone applying under the 2016 regulations still had no right of appeal. And these new amending regulations fix that uh, as of, I believe, the 28th of March. Uh, we reported that a while back and now it's been sort of officially confirmed. So, fantastic. A Supreme Court decision on appeal rights then, uh, Robinson and Secretary of State 2019, UKSC 11. Again, Colin, I might get you to explain what happened in this one. Oh, don't make me, don't make to do with... me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Something about a second application. Uh, yeah, I, yeah and, and quite you, technical. It pains me to say it, but the tribunal was right along and right all along on this one. The Wackar case was right, and they've uh, yeah, I was wrong. They were right because certainly I was in the camp thinking that um, yeah, the plain, ordinary meaning of the words in the amended section eighty two meant that. Um, Basically, there was no fresh claim test anymore. But um, the Supreme Court has disagreed. They've effectively inserted a new word into the statute. So I think yeah, I think some of us can be forgiven for not having done that and just reading it without the additional word. And um, Section 82 is to be read as 
um, an, an appeal right arising from an original human rights claim or an original protection claim. Um, so, yeah, that, this, this, this Supreme Court judgment isn't changing anything because you know, the Tribunal and the Court of Appeal um, had both taken that line. The reasoning here is a little bit different, perhaps. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just shoots down an argument that um, some appellant lawyers, including myself, had been running. Fair enough. No arguing with the Supreme Court. Um, and finally, on appeal rights, there was a upper tribunal case, OA and others, Human Rights, New Matter, Section 120, Nigeria. 2019 UK UT 65 IAC. This is about people who become entitled to indefinite leave remain because indefinite leave to remain because of long residence during the appeal process. So you, you're, you're entitled to ILR and long residence grounds while you have a, an appeal going through the tribunal, as I understand this. And essentially, the tribunal says that it should allow the appeal if this happens, but not actually grant the ILR. It's only to allow the person to put in a new application for ILR, which I suppose the Home Office could then refuse and you get a whole new round of litigation, um, which seems a bit convoluted, but that is apparently what the law requires. And there's more details in the write-up on that case by Bilal Shabir. Yeah, convoluted is the word. I mean, more interested in appeal rights than your average person. And I, I, I'm I struggle to get to the end of the headnote on this one. The headnote needs a headnote, I think. That would, that would be quite helpful. Yeah, it was uh, certainly a, a, not an exciting read of a Monday morning, um, but important, no doubt. Um, two more topics to address before we finish the podcast. The first is on is children, and there is an important new decision on the rather involved law on when migrants with children in the UK can be removed, and this is following on from the big KO Nigeria case in the Supreme Court. This one is JG, section 117B6, reasonable to leave UK, Turkey, 2019, UK UT 72 IAC. And the takeaway is that even where a child's departure from the UK is unlikely to take place, the tribunal must still decide whether such a departure would be reasonable. I don't know if we want to go into the reasoning on that one, Colin, or give any more context. No, I mean, it's it's pretty much as... As, as you've explained, and, and the, the, the context, I suppose, the Home Office was trying to say that um, the tribunal didn't have to assess that in cases where the child wasn't likely to be leaving the UK, um, which meant that the test sort of couldn't be applied by the tribunal at all, which was which is pretty weird. Um, so it's, it's good to see the tribunal saying, look, this is what the law is. We've got to just get on with it and apply it. Also relevant to children is the Court of Justice decision in case C12918, SM Algeria, which was a reference from our own Supreme Court. This is about the Islamic adoption or guardianship system called Kefala, or some better pronunciation than that. Um, but Kefala is not recognised as a formal adoption in UK law, but the question still arises as to what the child gets by way of EU free movement rights. Is she part of the family in some way, even though she's not a kind of formally adopted child? And the Court of Justice says yes, the child can be considered an other family member, which I think we call that an extended family member in in the UK, would we? Yes, um, and this is a it's a very welcome decision in some ways. I and mean, it'd been better for those children, I think, or more straightforward for those children if the court had been able to find that they were direct family members, because we know here in the UK, you know, if you if you're an other family member, an extended family member, then you've got to have a residence card in order to have a right of residence. Um, a lot of these cases are probably entry cases, so that wouldn't matter too much. But it's you know, for those cases where they're inside the UK, 
um, that, that's going to be a bit of a problem for the children potentially. Um, and the court goes on as well to say that there's got to be a proper kind of child's best interests assessment um, in these kind of cases as well, which is a useful reminder. Finally, an upper tribunal case on children and when they need a litigation friend to conduct a case on their behalf. The citation is RJS and others and Secretary of State, litigation friend, child, 2019, UKUT 64, IAC. Basically, 60 and 17-year-olds generally don't get a litigation friend. Children under 12 generally do. And in between 12 and 16, it all depends. Sweet. Uh, Finally, immigration detention. We have a couple of decisions here, not particularly helpful ones from the point of view of detainees. First of all, Omar and Secretary of State's 2019 EWCA save 207. Here, the Court of Appeal decided that the regulations on the detention of asylum seekers who are subject to the Dublin 3 removal procedure do comply with EU law. This one seems like another running battle with the Home Office through the courts on this issue of, of detention of Dublin 3 asylum seekers. Yeah, and then previous litigation was successful where there were no, were no regulations in place at all, but um, not this time, um, and it maintains the status quo. So, um, yeah, nothing really to see here. Let's move on. Moving on to R. Majewski and Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2019 EW, uh, sorry, 2019 EWHC 473 admin. This detention case was dealing with the fallout from the Grecus judgments, a uh, big uh, Grecus case uh, which found that the Home Office had been unlawfully detaining rough sleepers from Eastern Europe mostly. And the question now is what kind of damages uh, those unlawfully detained rough sleepers get. The finding in Majewski is that victims only get standard damages rather than than anything extra. This claimant was detained for 38 days and awarded £14,800 in compensation. Uh, Stephen Knight is counsel in this case and he tells us they are appealing that amount as too low. Finally, uh, just to acknowledge uh, the Home Affairs Committee report into immigration detention that was published in late March, a really thorough attack on on the whole system of of detaining migrants and I think quite well received by those who work with detainees. Yeah, absolutely. It's welcome to see the spotlight being shined on on immigration detention and it does does feel like there's quite a lot of sort of policy um, public pressure um, on the Home Office over this at the moment. There is some legislation um, going through which if it um, does reach the statute book will end indefinite detention in non-criminal cases although it will leave it there in place for uh, for foreign criminals unfortunately so um, yeah really welcome report yeah it does feel like maybe there's a bit of political momentum around detention i mean as you mentioned there's that possibility of a, a time limit in some cases the number of detention places has gone down a bit the actual number of people being detained is is drifting down so it does feel like maybe we're heading in a more positive direction compared to a few years ago yeah and and end on this sort of optimistic note for a change perhaps you know it feels like it's the case on in several policy areas actually the pendulum has swung so far in one direction on a number of different fronts um, and perhaps it's starting to swing back a little bit on you know immigration detention but also things like the pressure on right to rent um, just treatment of migrants generally complexity of the immigration rules there's there's a few you know 
positive developments potentially um, on the horizon at the moment. We should try and end the podcast on a positive note every month. Uh, what's, uh, uh, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice. We'll try next month as well. Reasons to be cheerful. I think that wraps things up for this month. So thank you very much for listening. And if you want to claim CPD for listening, then head over to freemoom.org.uk slash training and you can sign up as a member there. Goodbye.